Okay, welcome everybody. Hi. Um, okay, we're going to be doing chapter 35. Um, like I was just saying before, um, it is one of my favorite chapters, but it is a lot to cover. So we'll do our best. If we don't finish, it's okay. We'll continue next week. Um, let's just see how we do. Uh, we're going to start, I think it's time, we haven't done it in a little while, for a little review, and then that will help us set the stage for what we're learning today. Okay, so remember, I'm going to take you back over a year ago, in the first class, we talked about what is the purpose of the Tanya? How is it set up? And we said that Tanya is set up like an instructional book, right? It's not an encyclopedia where you're going to like look up a word for information, right? This is to instruct us, to guide us in our way of life and um, kind of like a recipe, right? So here we are in this instructional book. It's practical. It's for our day-to-day -day life. And um, it's, it's literally like being coached, right? Like it's, it's like having a coach, okay? So I think we mentioned this before, but I want you to imagine again that every single chapter is like another private audience with the Alter Rebbe. He is literally, what he's doing is telling us in chronological order. So building each class, each chapter builds on each other. So once we have this information, we can now go to the next piece of information. Once we've mastered this concept, then we can go on to the next. So every chapter is like, um, a private audience with the altar of it. Now, um, another really beautiful thing on how this, this Tanya is set up is that it doesn't tell us everything right away, right? It builds, like we said, it builds on each other. We're learning things that once we understand this, then we can go to that. Okay. So starting from where we began, from where we started, Let's quickly go through with what we've done so far, what we know so far, and then we'll continue with the fresh information that we're going to learn for this chapter. Okay, so chapters one through eight. What did we do in one through eight? It's like the new language. It's like the lexicon, right? We learned the, um, the breakup of how the universe works, how our, bo how our bodies work, how our souls work, right? It is our, it's setting the stage. So we now understand a little bit more of like what happens, how our, what's the composition of our body? What's the composition of the world, right? We have, it's like a dictionary, right? Like we, that is kind of like an encyclopedia. That's like the ingredients that we need for the recipe, right? So we're all that stuff we needed to learn so we can actually turn that information into practicality, okay? Nine through 12, um, we learned the, about the different personalities that are in this world, right? We have five different personalities, tzaddik, two types of tzaddikim, right? We spoke about, we have a Russia, two types of Russia, and Bainani, the intermediary person. The point of this whole book is for the Bainani, right? Or the striving Bainani. So nine through 12, we um, just learned about who these people are, what makes them who they are, right? And how their body composition works and how, you know, they operate. Now, 13 through 15, we elaborated on the Bainani, right? Because we need to have a lot more information about 
the personality type that we're trying to achieve, right? We said tzaddik is not in our wheelhouse, right? We're not trying to be tzaddikim. We're not striving for perfection. What are we striving for? Perfect behaviors, but not inter inter internally perfect, right? So that was 13 through 15. 16 and 17, we were taught our first tool, right? We were taught impulse control. That is the first tool that a beta knee gets, right? We learn how to control our actions, how to, to not act impulsively, right? To think before we do. And that is what helps the beta achieve perfect actions, okay? And we learned that there's um, a discrepancy between our emotions and our behaviors, right? We realize that our behaviors, we can do one thing, but sometimes our emotions are not at the same place as our behaviors. So what do we want to do? We want to learn how to slowly get our emotions and our actions congruent. We're never, it's never going to be perfect because a perfect, being perfect would take us to be exotic, but we want to try at least to like want to want to do what we want to do, right? That's, we talked about that a lot. How do we do that? What's the second tool that the Bainani gets is meditation, right? How do we create emotions that want us to love God, uh, have on God, to get us to do the actions that Hashem wants us to do? Meditation. We can create those emotions through meditation, okay? 18 through 25, that was a big chunk that we learned that was very intense. But what did we learn? What meditation takes a long time, right? What happens if we need a quick fix? What happens if we want to, we need to create that emotion ASAP, right? So we learned that there's a emergency way to create that emotion. And what is that? Through accessing our latent love that each one of us was created with, right? And we're not going to get into how we do that because we spent eight chapters discussing that. But that is what those chapters are about, okay? 26 through 34, right? Which is right where, right before this, right? 26 through 34, right? We created a perfect system. Till 26, if we close the Tanya, then we would have what it takes to become a Bainani. What's the problem? The problem is, is there's obstacles. What happens when physical obstacles become in our way? Emotional obstacles come in our way, right? How do we troubleshoot those obstacles? And th those chapters are all about troubleshooting. What's the main goal that our, those chapters are trying to get us at is to serve God with joy, right? Why do we need to serve God with joy? Because we, anything done with joy is done better. So if we want to give our best to God, we need to serve him with joy because you take anything in the world. If you do it with joy, it's going to be done better. You're going to appreciate it more. You're going to love it more. It's going to be better. So of course we want to serve God with joy. So we need to be able to overcome all those obstacles in order to serve God with joy because those obstacles can bring us down, right? They cause guilt, shame, depression, all those things, all those things that we troubleshooted, right? So we need to be able to have those tools to move through those obstacles and emotions so we can serve God with joy. That's where we left off last week. Last week, we said, what is one of the, the, the last reason 
we learned of how we serve God with joy is by creating a dwelling place for God. And that automatically will bring us joy. That's where we left off last week. Okay. So here we are. Any questions, not detailed questions about the chapters, because we're not going to go into that. You can always refer back to the recordings, but anything that just is tricky or not, you need to know before we move on. Okay. Um, remember how to ask questions, just put them in the chat box and, or if you're on Zoom, you can unmute. That's the perks of being on Zoom, guys. You get to unmute and talk. <laughs> okay, chapter 35, here we are, okay? We now have a philosophical complaint. 26 through 34, we had like physical obstacles that were getting in our way. Now we have a philosophical complaint, right? We go through everything. We know how to, to get on the path to become a baby. We might not be there yet, but we know how to get there, right? We have all the tools. Here we are. And we're at the point where we're like, okay, but so what? What's the point? We start to question the value and meaning of our existence on how it's been defined until now. Okay, I'm gonna elaborate. We understand, or the person who's speaking to the Alter Rebbe, or will, we can refer to us or somebody else, let's say we've, we are Bainani, right? Let's say we got there, right? We took all the last 34 chapters into account. We achieved our goal, right? So we understand that we're a Bainani, right? And we understand that our path um, includes the fact that we're always going to grapple with our emotions, right? We're never going to be perfectly congruent. Our actions and our emotions are never going to be perfectly congruent. We're always going to have the struggle inside of us, right? We know that. Um, so the philosophical complaint is, what's, is this, is this how it's going to be for the rest of my life? I'm always going to struggle. If I can't get to this emotional perfection, right? That doesn't, doesn't feel right. Right? Like what's the point of it all? What's the value? Right? And then we start to feel like, we're like doing um, second class Judaism, right? If you can't be a tzaddik, right? You can't be a tzaddik. So you're never gonna have a perfect emotions. So we'll appease you with this path of abandoning, which is don't worry, you can have perfect actions, you, but you're never gonna have perfect emotions, but it's fine, right? But that feels like second choice, second tier. And after all that work and all that, you know, meditation and journey and impulse control. That's our end game. That's where we're at. Doesn't seem, we start to have some serious philosophical questions about that. Okay. So that's what this chapter and the next chapter is going to tackle. And it's going to turn a lot of things on its head. That's why I love it. And I feel like after we get through these chapters, we're going to even have a whole new perspective on how things operate. Okay. So, um,
we don't basically we don't want to feel like we're living this modified version of Judaism, right? After it's not like we're we're not putting the effort in, right? It's not like we we're not working hard every day. And if we're working that hard every day, we want to know that what we're doing matters and counts and is not second class, okay? Um, so this is what the Tanya is gonna discuss, right? What we have to understand, what the big question that the Tanya is gonna ask now is what's gonna help us understand where our purpose is and why we should not feel like second-class citizens. So what's the question that Tanya asks? It's gonna be a very general question, but it's going to be a poignant question because it gets to the crux of it all. The question is, what is the meaning of life? Okay, right? And we're discussing this question out of necessity, right? The Tanya is not a philosophical book, right? We said that in the beginning. This is not a philosophy class, right? Tanya is practical. We're not learning things in theory just to know them, right? Sometimes asking the meaning of life can be really philosophical and not really turn into anything practical. But the reason why the Alter Rebbe is taking the time to discuss the meaning of life, it's because we need it. We need to know what the meaning of life because that's what's gonna help us understand why we're here and what we're doing and why it's not second class, okay? So, um, because why? What happens when doubt creeps into our psyche? When doubt creeps in, it could be our undoing. It can totally unravel us. When we doubt, the very thing that we're spending our life doing, that leads to existential crises, right? That leads to us completely unraveling and abandoning, abandoning it all. So the altar ever wants to make sure that we don't have that. Doubt doesn't creep into our mind and we know what the purpose of living is. So we know why we're here. So we know that what we're doing has value and not just has value, is the point of being here, is the point of living. So the Tanya feels a necessity that we address this philosophical question, but it's for a practical purpose, right? Anytime the Tanya will delve into something philosophical, right? We've done it before, right? Like the, the complete unity of God and all those things. It's because we need it for a practical reason, okay? So, um, so the Alter Rebbe has outlined um, what the Alter Rebbe has, has what he has outlined for us so far as a goal of the Bainani is not modified Judaism. Okay? What we've been learning till now is not modified Judaism. It is Judaism. And this is what we're going to be talking about. Okay? So I remember we, we brought that um, um, parable, that little like cute comparison between a Bainani and a Tzadik. We said, you know, Bainani is like a, a spicy treat and a tzaddik's like a sweet dessert, right? And Hashem likes both, just sometimes he wants likes this and sometimes he likes that, right? It's a, and, you know, spicy is, you know, has the, whatever. Remember we talked about this whole thing about the different things that, that a tzaddik and a Bainani accomplish. But what we're saying is that 
actually, we're not even going like that. We're even leaving behind. What we're going to say is that the true service of God is the Bani service to the point where the tzaddik has to do it too. Okay. And we're, and we're going to get there. Okay. So how do we explain that? How do we understand that what a Bani's journey is, is, is the main thing, right? Because it seems like the tzaddik has it made. It seems like the tzaddik does whatever God wants him to do without the struggle. And he's completely right. A chariot to God. And he completely God's will speaks through the person and he doesn't deviate from that. Right. That seems like that's where it's at. So how do we explain that that's not the case? Okay, so here is where chapter 35 begins. And then this is what we're going to be talking about. The first thing that the chapter says is it quotes the verse that was in chapter one that most of the Tanya is based on. And we keep coming back to this verse and we've come back to it a few times already to emphasize different words of this verse. The verse that we're referring to is Ki karov elacha hadavar me'od beficha uvelvavcha laasoso. Okay, so what does that mean? That's the what basically what the Tanya is based on. So what does that mean? This matter, what matter? The fulfillment of the entire Torah. This matter is very close to you, in your mouth and in your heart, that you may do it. Right. So this matter, the fact that we can fulfill the entire Torah is very close to you in your mouth, and in your heart, that you may do it. OK, what word we're going to focus on here is la asoso, that you may do it. Action. Right. That's what we're going to be delving into today. OK. So. Um, the premise of our service of God is action, okay? So not just as a modified goal, but period, absolute, the absolute objective value. And action is even the most important part of a person's service, even for a tzaddik, who's even someone who's mastered their emotions, action is where they act, where it's actually at. That's the purpose of Judaism. You can have all the perfect emotions for God, and that's beautiful. It's a bonus. But a tzaddik is not let off the hook on action, right? Even if a tzaddik has perfect emotions for God, and he loves him, and he's completely in tune with him, and completely one with him, it doesn't exempt him from doing the mitzvahs. Did we ever think about that? Right? So this, this whole thing that we're going to be talking about, this is the comfort for the Bainani. This is the this concept is what's going to comfort the Bainani whose existential angst for never being able to have inner peace is bothering him. What we're going to say is that's the point, right? The action is where it's at. It doesn't really matter what's going on inside of you. Judaism is an action-based religion. Okay, probably the only action-based religion, right? And in many other religions, it's as Absolve, you get absolved, you get this, you can, you know, you don't really, you don't really have to go to service, you don't really have to do anything, you just say, right? Judaism, you're always going to be Jewish, no matter what, if you're born Jewish, you're always going to be Jewish, but 
to fulfill the um the will of god it's action oriented even if you don't want to do it even if it's not even if it's difficult for you even if you're having this emotional turmoil if you do it that's the point okay so um we're going to bring a quote from the zohar that's going to help us understand why this is so because Atanya will tell us something but he's always going to back it up it's not going to just say believe this because i said so we're going to learn that tanya that judaism is action-based because we're going to understand what um is actually biologically and physically happening when we do a mitzvah and what part of our body are we actually using right it's we're going to get down to the nitty-gritty okay so the zohar quotes a verse from King Solomon, Shlomo HaMelech, and the verse is such, it says, I'm going to say it in English, that a wise person's eyes are on his head. Okay, that's what we're quoting. A wise person's eyes are on his head. Okay, what does that mean? And in the, there's a commentator in the Gemara, and his name was Yanuka, um, and he was a very young child, but super smart and super holy, obviously. And he, this is his comment on this verse. His question is, well, where's everybody else's eyes, right? Like, what do you mean by a wise person's eyes are on his head? Where are everybody else's eyes, right? Where, what, what does this mean? Like, we need to understand this better, okay? And obviously this is gonna be a metaphor, okay? We're gonna, what is this a metaphor for? Please stop me if it gets overwhelming or tricky because we're gonna be doing a, bringing in a lot of different concepts, okay? The metaphor is the, a person as a, is, as a lamp, okay? The person in this verse we're referring to as a lamp, not the electric lamp that we have nowadays, but like a kerosene lamp from, olden times where you needed a flame and a wick to light the lamp. Okay. A lamp has three main parts, oil, wick, and flame. Okay. You're with me so far. The oil is, is mitzvahs. In this metaphor, the oil is the mitzvahs. Okay. The wick is the body okay so through the body you draw the mitzvahs right and give it a place right so through the body you do the mitzvahs correct right what do we how do we do how do we fulfill god's will through our body right thought speech action body and what's the flame the flame is the divine light Okay, now, a lot of people, when they're asked what's, what's the flame, they might say soul, right? Because we have referred to the soul as a flame before, but not in this case, okay? Here, in this case, the, the light refers to Shekhinah, the divine presence. Okay, you with me so far? So what are we saying? That the godly presence in this world, which is generated by each and every one of us 
doing a mitzvah through our body. Yes? Say it again. Action. Yes. So there's three components to this metaphor, okay? The oil is the mitzvahs. The wick is the body. The flame is God's presence, his shechina, the God's light, okay? Through the mitzvahs, right? Through the oil, which we do with our body, which is the wick, right? That's what sustains the shechina in this world, right? You have the wick, which is the body. You have the oil, which is the mitzvahs, and you have the flame, which is God's presence. Good? Instagram, we're doing good? Okay. Now, um, what is not mentioned in this metaphor that kind of feels like it should be? We're talking about godliness, we're talking about divine presence, and we're talking about mitzvahs. What is not mentioned here? The godly soul. Don't you think it's kind of weird that when we're talking about fulfilling mitzvahs in this world and bringing down God's presence, that's the godly soul is not even part of this metaphor? Well, you can only do it through your body. Right, but shouldn't, it, shouldn't their godly soul be part of this in some way? That goes without saying. You're right. You're right. You're on the right track. We're going to get there. You're on the right track. Um, the godly soul is not part of this equation at all, okay? Um, because that's the whole point, the whole point. And this is where, okay, we're, this is where we're going to go into a whole nother concept. Okay. The soul is capable is the soul is incapable of truly experiencing oneness with God. Counterintuitive. Yeah. The soul is not capable of experiencing True oneness with God. Why not? Because you're part of God. The soul okay. is part of God. Close, close. What could your soul do that your body can't? Let's backtrack for a second. Your soul is very good at perceiving godliness, right? And our body is, doesn't do that at all. Our body perceives physicality. Our soul is very good at perceiving godliness, but how does a soul perceive godliness? A soul experience is the, the best way that the soul experiences godliness is when it's disembodied, right? When it goes to the world to come and it basks in the light of Hashem's glory, it's without a body, right? And so the body sometimes hinders the soul from experiencing godliness, right? Um, so the soul understands and cares for God and experiences love and awe of God, but the soul's experience with God is a relationship, right? The soul has a relationship with God. What does a relationship need? Two parts, right? You need two people for a relationship, a subject and the object, right? The subject is the soul, the object is God, right? The soul, the subject loves God, i.e. the object, right? 
And the more the soul profoundly loves Hashem, the more obvious the subject-object relationship it is. Okay? So you can't say the soul becomes completely one with God because what we're saying is that the soul has a relationship with God. The soul can perceive godliness. It has to be separate. The soul has to be separate from God if it's going to perceive godliness. It can't perceive godliness if it's part of God at that moment. Okay? So this it's a subjective relationship, right? The soul's relationship with God is subjective based on the ability of the observer to observe. The soul's relationship with God is based on its ability to observe godliness. It has to observe godliness in order to be, have a relationship with it. So it's a subjective relationship. Right? The soul is a piece of God. It's like, it's like when you say your, your child is a piece of you, right? But you're not both the same person anymore, right? You're two different people. So that's what the soul is. It's a piece of God. It came from God. But at this point, it's separate from God. And in order for it to have a relationship with God, it has to be separate. It has to be able to observe Godliness. It has to be subjected to have a relationship with God. Does that, it needs does the that, body to do that. It needs the body to do that. You're getting doesn't. there. We're getting there. We're getting there. So, but does that, do, does that make sense to you? Does this make sense, right? That in order to be in a relationship with God, it has to be, the soul has to be something that can observe God, which makes it a subjective godliness, a, a, a subjective relationship. Okay. Who has the objective relationship with God? Right, we just talked about the subjective relationship, right? And we're saying that the the soul has to be able to observe godliness in order for it to be in a relationship. What happens if there's no if the soul doesn't observe godliness? It's not in a relationship with God, right? If it doesn't observe godliness, it's not in a relationship with God. Who has the objective relationship with God? The, the body. The body. Yeah. Why? Why the body? Because the the. The body can be subservient to God, right? It could be actually a chariot to God without ever feeling it. It doesn't have to feel God to be one with him because when you do a mitzvah, whether the body observes it or feels it or wants it, it's, it's happening, right? Like, you can do a mitzvah, like you can do a mitzvah. Okay, I'm going to give an example. Let's say you're lighting Shabbos candles, right? And you light Shabbos candles and you do it because you're supposed to, but you don't get the spiritual high. You, you, you're just doing it by rote and you're doing it because you're obligated to and your body feels nothing. The body is still being a direct conduit for godliness, whether it feels it or not. That's an objective relationship. The, the soul is only in the relationship if it does the mitzvah or not. And, and if it feels it, right? The, but the body, whether it feels it or not, it doesn't matter. It's serving God by its, with its body, it's serving God, okay? Is that so the action soul, you're talking about? What? Is that the action you're talking about? Yes, 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 exactly. So the soul needs to experience God 
on, on a tangible level for it to have a relationship with him, right? It's a subjective experience. The soul needs to feel it. The soul needs to observe it, right? The body can surrender to godliness just by becoming a chariot. Remember we talked about the chariot to God, right? Just by the body doing the thing, right? Without feeling it, without even recognizing that it's godly, it has, it becomes subservient to God. That's objective. It's happening whether he knows it or not. Your body is serving God, whether he knows it or feels it or not. That's objective, right? Okay, guys, this is, we're taking what we've learned. We didn't learn anything contradictory, but we're taking what we've learned and we're going to such a deeper level and we're, we're kind of turning the assumptions that we had on its head. Of course, we all assume that our soul has the better access to God than the body. That is a that is an assumption that we've all made. I've made it, right? But what we're saying is here is that's that's the wrong assumption. Just because the soul has to perceive godliness to be in a relationship with it doesn't mean it's getting closer to God than your body. Okay? In fact, usually the body doesn't know and doesn't appreciate it. And it's totally oblivious to the unity that's occurring when he's doing the mitzvah, right? That's usually what's happening. We're not, most of the time, we're not aware of what's happening with our body when we do a mitzvah, right? We're not aware what's happening, right? It's, we're not aware that we're literally expressing the divine will of God and that makes us a completely subservient to him. We're not thinking about that, but it doesn't mean it's not happening. Okay. Now, besides for these being like mind-blowing concepts, like if you would actually think about that, that, that itself can change your whole life, but we're not going to do it. We're not going to get there yet because we have more to still uncover and then we'll wrap that up at the end. Okay. I'm not sure we're going to get through it all, but we'll see. Okay, so the soul cannot experience oneness with Hashem. It can behold Hashem. It can bask in its presence. It can be in a relationship with God, but it cannot be one with God, right? Even the soul that's disembodied cannot be one with God. Didn't we discuss this just recently, right? Even the soul, I I, I don't remember. I do two separate Tanya classes, so I feel like sometimes I get mixed up, but even a disembodied soul is the soul is still a separate entity. It's not becoming one with God. It's enjoying God's presence. It's basking in the rays of God, but it's not one with Him, right? So no, but nobody can become one with God. Not even a tzaddik. No, we're saying uh, a soul can't become one with God, but a body can. Okay. Okay. So a soul can behold God. It can appreciate God. It can be a relationship with God, but it doesn't become one with God. The body cannot really behold God without the soul, right? The body cannot behold God. It can't observe God. It can't appreciate God, but it can express God's will and surrender to become an extension of godliness. Okay. So we have like a a vice versa kind of situation. We have an opposite kind of situation. Our soul can't be one with God, but it can observe it. Our body can't observe God but it can become one with it. What make why? So now we understand why the soul and the body is a perfect partnership. 
right? That's why we understand why down here in this world is where it's at, right? Because a soul cannot become one with God unless it's in a body. And a body is never going to be able to feel godliness without the soul. Yeah? Okay. So if you really want to become one with Hashem, if you really want to become one with God, it's not through the soul. It's going to be through the body. Even the soul of a tzaddik, and a soul of a tzaddik is obviously extra sensitive, right? Because it's super, super in tune to God, um, will not become one with Hashem without the body. It will continue to enjoy a subjective, objective relationship. It will be very pleasurable, right? It'll feel super godly. It'll feel all these special spiritual emotions, but it's not going to become one with God, okay? Without the body. So if you want to spread light in this world, and you want to bring Hashem's Shekhinah, Hashem's presence down in this world, you can only do it with a body. And that is why the soul is not part of the equation. What we just talked about, right? The, the, the wick, the flame, and the oil, right? There's no soul in that metaphor. And what Kari kept saying is that that's the action, right? The mitzvahs, the oil that is done through the body is what brings the Shekhinah down. The mitzvahs are action. They're actionable. They're not in our heart. You don't fulfill a mitzvah in your heart, right? Like the road to hell is paved with good intentions, right? You're not getting anywhere with just good intentions right? Doing a mitzvah with proper intentions will play a role. And we'll learn about that, I think, in chapter like 41 or something. We'll learn about proper intentions. But intentions without action is worth nothing. Oh, you know how people say their heart was in the right place? Right? Great. Your heart was in the right place. Practically, what, is, what happens with that? Not much, right? In a practical sense right? So that's what Hashem is saying. You want to become one with me? You want to bring my presence down into this world? How do you do that? Through the mitzvahs, which are done through the body. The soul doesn't get you there. Okay? What is the soul? This, what, is, what would you say? Like, so then you can say, well, then what's the point of the soul, right? The soul is the engine, right? The soul is what's going to get you started. The soul jump starts your appreciation for God, right? It's going to be very hard to do mitzvahs without that kind of sensitivity to godliness, right? So the soul is what provides that sensitivity, the engine, the, the, the back, the back, it's behind the scenes, right? But what's actually getting it done is the body. And you cannot do it without the body. You cannot do a, a disembodied soul, right? A soul without a body cannot do mitzvahs. That's why we value life so much. That's why we want to be down here as much as we can, doing as much as we can, because we can't do that up in heaven. Okay? So, any questions so far? This, 
I've learned this chapter many, many times. And every time I learn it, it still blows my mind. And I'm still like, it gets deeper and deeper. So that if it's still like, uh, I, don't, I don't know, I, I'm not sure about this, like that, that's okay. Re learn it, read it again, you know, think about it. It does eventually start to make more sense because this is a little bit counterintuitive and it's exactly what our it's not what our, we would think by default, right? We always think our soul, our soul, our soul is what's godly. Our soul is going to get us there. Our soul, right? The soul's worthless without the body. The soul can't do anything without the body. Okay. So the class um, today, this sorry, class, this class has yeah. been the, the easiest one for me to grasp. Yeah. Oh, I'm totally with it. Um, <laughs> I understand it completely. I love it. I love it. I love it. I love it. And you can explain it to me. Okay. Okay. Do you have a question or you're just still know. processing it? We can't do anything godly without the body. Right. It's the body that makes the, everything work because we have right. to do action with right. our body. We, can't, we can be very spiritual and holy with the soul, but without the action, what, We're not what, doing what, right? even last chapter, what did we say? What is our purpose to make a dwelling place for God in this world? Right. How do we make a dwelling place for God in this world? Do you do what he wants? What, what does he want? The mitzvahs. How do you, now we're saying, okay, we knew that from last chapter. Now we're like, well, how do we do the mitzvahs? With our body, right? We do mitzvahs with our body. So without the body, you're having a very subjective relationship with God. With the body, you can have an objective relationship with God. You can become one with him. You can be a direct expression of him and his will. I do have one. I think that cannot do that. Yes, I think the subjective, you. objective words are getting, I, I'm, I'm getting like, okay, tripped so up. Take it out. Yeah, me too. Me too. Okay. Those, those okay. kind of confusing. What, what I mean by subjective and objective is subjective means a relate, like you, you have to perceive, right? If you're having a subjective, you have to, the soul has to perceive, perceive godliness. So it has to be a separate entity in order to perceive it because the body doesn't have to perceive it to be one with it. So it's objective. It doesn't have to have its own entity to experience godliness. It just has to do it. Right. Physically. Okay. But if those words are tripping you up, just leave it out. I have a small it's question. Not it's not crucial to understanding. You have a small question. Yes. Is prayer when you dive in every morning and you do your two hour prayers, is that considered doing a body Action yeah. So you know what? It's very interesting that you say that. The reason why we actually, why do, do you ever wonder why we move back and forth when we pray? Yeah. It's for balance. Right? That's why, right? It's like, we, because we want to use our whole body during prayer now. So we actually, I, so I believe, and I will double check because I, I don't, I don't want to misquote, but I believe prayer is considered one of the 613 uh, mitzvahs, but Torah is is not the case. Torah, we use our, our mind and our speech, but it's not necessarily our action, which means Torah does not get us to the same place as mitzvahs do. Okay. So I don't know if you remember in chapter five, we reiterated all the um, pros of Torah study over mitzvahs. That's the food of the soul, right? All that stuff. But that's what you have to learn about Tanya. It, depending on it's not, not black and white. Remember we said it's nothing's black and white. We mentioned a few things that were, but, but most of it's not black and white because depending on the situation, depending on the scenario, depending on what we're talking about here, 
we're going to, we're, we're, we're saying how mitzvahs get you someplace that Torah doesn't. Okay. So just depending on, just keep that in mind that sometimes you're going to learn that Torah is more, more, more spiritual and holy and amazing, whatever. And sometimes you'll learn that mitzvahs are here. We're, we're reiterating and we're emphasizing the pros of mitzvahs over Torah study because Torah study doesn't get us to action. Okay. So you still need your body for Torah study, right? You still need your thought and your speech, which uses your body. You can't, a soul doesn't, I mean, you can't really accomplish Torah study without a body, but it doesn't get us as um, one with God or subservient to God as the actionable mitzvahs do. So prayer in the morning, when you do your morning blessings and morning prayers every day, that's not really considered an, an action thing, like a mitzvah? I think it is. I think prayer is considered action over mitzvahs, but I would have to double check. I don't know for sure. Please check. Yes. Yes, I will. I will find out for sure. But I do think that prayer falls into the mitzvah category and Torah is its separate category. Okay. But if I'm, I will double check and I will let you know. If I have to correct myself, I will. It would not be the first time. <laughs> yes. Okay. Thank you. Okay. So, um, so the Bainani, right, um, has this existential question, right? What's the point of my existence, right? What's the point of of this whole journey, if I'm never going to have the same emotions of a tzaddik, I'm never going to be completely emotionally um, in tune with God. And we're like, who, and so this chapter tells us, well, who cares? Because that's not what this is about. Uh, tzaddik can have the perfect in tune emotions with God, and he still has to do the mitzvahs. He would not be serving God without the mitzvahs. So no matter how close his emotions are no matter how in line with god the tzaddik's emotions are he still has to do the mitzvahs he still has to do what we have to do so yes is it a bonus to have emotions that don't make us crazy and give us internal conflict yes it's the bonus but is it the point of life absolutely not you cannot accomplish the meaning of life without mitzvahs okay um so we so we have to tell the bainani this is what it's all about right this is what it's all about pretend you were a tzaddik right pretend that you were perfect in your emotions and you are living high on the ecstasy of god does that make you exempt from any of the 613 mitzvahs no why La asoso. It's about the action. It is always going to be about the action. Now, again, we're not dissing intent. We're not dissing complete emotional um, oneness with God or in tune with God. We're not, it's not a bad thing. It's a beautiful thing. We would love to get there, but it's not the point, right? To the point where you can have the perfect emotional relationship with God, but if it's not an actionable relationship, you're not really doing anything. Okay. So I'm um, thinking of like a movie and thinking about what, what it would look like in a movie. Like I, I use that often, like if there was a camera on you, what would that look like? And like, those are the things that 
accounting as opposed to like just what you're thinking about doing and that the camera's not showing. Um, I love that you said that. We're actually going to bring that up in the, I don't remember exactly which chapter, but in a couple of chapters coming up, we're going to be talking about how do we serve God? Like imagine somebody's watching you, right? Like that's how you serve him. So we're totally going to get into that, which I love, like so cool that you brought that exact example up because we're, we're literally going to go there in the next couple chapters. Um, Okay. So living in this world, I think we need to hear that. I think we forget it a lot of times. Living in this world is not about experiencing spiritual ecstasy. That's not what we're here for. If once in a while you experience spiritual ecstasy and it doesn't distract you from actually serving God, then great. Sometimes spiritual ecstasy actually gets us off track, right? We forget what's actually important. So it's not about that, right? It's about the action, right? Um, and so if you're, if you're that aspiring baby or you're that baby who feels like it's condescending, right? Your service of God is condescending and the tzaddik's really the way to go. Like, no, no, that's not the case, okay? Um, true connection is because of the body not the soul. If we achieve true connection with Hashem, it's thanks to our body. Okay. So, um, my gosh, wow. We're almost, let me see if I can finish. Okay. Um, so bottom line is we need to do the right thing. La aso so action, action, action. So if you were to take one thing away from this class is Judaism is action. Okay. Um, okay. So then we're going to, we're just going to, we, we just touched upon it, but I'm just going to quickly review because action is the goal, right? We need to understand that even within mitzvahs, there's a difference between Torah study and a mitzvah, right? Chapter five, we talked about the advantage of Torah study, um, but here we're going to talk about the advantage of the mitzvahs, right? We have three soul garments, thought, speech, and action, right? When you study Torah, you're only using your thought and your speech, so that's your inner garments, right? It goes from inner to outer. And when you fulfill halachas, when you actually perform the halachas that you learn in the Torah, that brings it to action. Okay? Now, we're even going to take it a step further. Remember, we learned that the godly soul and the animal soul have a parallel structure. Like whatever the godly soul has, the animal soul has. So the animal soul has 10 powers. The godly soul has 10 powers. The animal soul has thought, speech, and action. The godly soul has thought, speech, and action, right? So we're even going to go as far to, as to say that when you do a mitzvah, the garments that you're using, are they the godly soul's garments or the animal soul's garments? Animal. They're godly. Animal soul's garments. Godly. Animal soul. When you're doing the mitzvah, you are actually using your animal soul's garments to do the mitzvah. Did you use your, your godly soul's garments to decide to do it? 
So wait a second, right? So, so wait a second, I'm going to answer that. But could you do, why, why, do we, why are we saying that they're the animal soul's garments? Because could the soul without the body do a mitzvah? No. No. Right? But so, isn't the soul telling the, the, isn't the godly soul telling the animal soul to do the mitzvah? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So wait a second. So we can't, could the soul do a, a without the body do a mitzvah? No. Can the soul without the animal soul do a mitzvah? No. No. No, because the animal soul is what's enlivening the body, right? You can't have the animal soul. You can't have a body without an animal soul, right? You can't do a mitzvah without the body. You can't do a mitzvah without the animal soul. So when you do a mitzvah, what's the engine for the physical action? The godly soul. Yes. Okay. The engine for the physical action, the motivation behind the physical action, the, the, the part that's going to perceive the godliness, that's the soul. But what's actually performing the mitzvah, what's actually becoming the chariot for God, that's the body, okay? Yes? Okay. So you can't transform your animal soul. Your animal soul, unless you're exotic, is never going to be transformed. It's always going to be materialistic and physical and selfish, right? That's what the definition of the animal soul, unless you're a tzaddik who transforms his animal soul and then he has two godly souls. But we're not, that's not what we're talking about, right? We're talking about regular people. Regular people, their animal soul is never going to be transformed. But in the moment of a mitzvah, your body and your animal soul are completely subservient to God. Okay? The soul has to provide the energy for the mitzvah, right? But what's actually performing the mitzvah is the body, which means it has to be using the garments of the animal soul. Okay? So, even though... One second, let me just make sure. So basically, the, the garments of your animal soul is what's making you more one with God than your soul could ever be. This is deep. Can you, Can say, you say that, that again? again? Yeah. <laughs> Even though um, the animal soul powers are not being transformed, they're staying selfish. They're staying materialistic. They're, they're not transforming to godliness. But it's still going to get you closer to God than your soul ever could. Okay, that's pretty mind-blowing. Right? That's what I mean when I said this chapter is going to turn everything on its head. Because that's not what you would think. Now that we're learning it, we're like, yes, that makes sense. Because we can't do any of this without a body. Why didn't we think of that? Right? but that's not where our brain goes. So it kind of like, we have to rewire that brain. But when we talk about it, you're like, I, yes, it makes sense. We can't do this without a body, right? So obviously this is what's happening, but 
really that's not how we would think unless we're being told right so that's why but that's why god put us here yeah. with a body or else why would he need a world why would he need people in bodies right bodies yeah um so what king solomon's saying when he says that the wise person's eyes are in his head right we're not saying why we're not saying wise doesn't equal tzaddik right wise equal we mean smart why does this why is a smart person's eyes on his head if you're smart and you're monitoring your head right and you notice, and, and the godly light is over your head, right? And you notice that maybe the flame is diminishing a little bit, right? That godliness, that shina, that divine presence, the flame is going out. What are you going to do? Mitzvahs. Mitzvahs. A mitzvah. How are you going to light the flame? How are you going to light that wick? How are you going to light up the body to bring down the shina? You're going to do mitzvahs. That's the fuel. The fuel to bring God into this world are the mitzvahs. What does that mean? It's action. Okay? So if you want to continue shining that supernal light, it has to be through the body, right? The wick has to be through the body. And you have to monitor it. You have to pay attention to it to make sure that it's never going to go out. Right? So you always, you always want to be doing those mitzvahs. You always want to be doing those actionable items, those actionable things to fuel the flame, which is the godly light. Okay. What did you call what, it what? In, in Hebrew? Something so-so. Something so-so. La'asoso. Oh, la'asoso. To do, right? That's the, that's the word from the verse we quoted in the beginning yeah. of the chapter. How do you say it again? La'asoso. La'asoso. Okay. okay, we guys, we're summing up the chapter at 7.59. Whoever wants to stay a little bit longer for meditation, great. If not, I totally understand. To sum it up, Benini has an existential crisis and he feels like there's no point to his service, right? Because he's like, I'm always going to struggle. What's the point? Tanya says, the whole point is action, right? <laughs> The soul cannot do what the body can do, okay? Wick, oil, flame. There's no soul in that equation. You want to accomplish your mitzvah, you, you want to accomplish your mission? Mitzvahs, mitzvahs, mitzvahs. Action, 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 okay? The only way we have an objective relationship with God a relationship that is subservient is through the body because the body is what does the mitzvahs. Woo! We did it. It's fabulous. Any questions? Yes. Yes. Where did you get your top? I love it. <laughs> um, that's a perfect time. I actually come to Bozeman and go shopping. I got it in Bozeman, Montana on Main Street. <laughs> <laughs> it's you look beautiful. In that. Okay. We're going to do a, a short meditation. If any chapter needs one, it's this. And um, then after the meditation, if any crazy, like if you're like, this whole thing makes no sense, speak up. Okay. All right. Take a deep breath. In through your nose, out through your mouth. Whoa, I just threw a lot of stuff at you. Okay, so I really wanna just focus on your breath for a couple minutes. 
or seconds, actually, you don't have minutes, but seconds, try to let everything go and just breathe in, breathe out, let any tension, just let it out, just let it melt away. Visualize just melting. Okay, I'm just gonna leave you with one point that I think sums up the whole chapter, okay? So if, if thinking about the whole thing is overwhelming, just take this home with you. Don't get discouraged by the fact that you can't seem to get rid of your animal soul, right? Don't get discouraged by the fact that your emotions are, you're still struggling. It's a constant struggle inside of you. Because every time you do a mitzvah, God's infinite light shines through your animal soul, with your animal soul. And that's remarkable because something that without help from above, even the divine soul can't achieve. So what you're accomplishing with your animal soul, with your body, your divine soul cannot do that. Okay, so every single time you do a mitzvah, try to think about the fact that you are becoming a complete chariot to Hashem through your body. You don't have to feel it to know to, to, for it to be happening. Okay, that's really what the whole point of this chapter was to remind us why we're here. What's the meaning of life? not spiritual ecstasy it's action okay so i want you to sit with that thought for a, a couple seconds and just observe how you're feeling with that thought emotionally physically anything at all don't try to change it just try to be with it for a couple seconds Bring your attention back to your breath. Focus on your breathing. Let your mind go in through your nose, out through your mouth. When you're ready, gently open your eyes. Take your time. Okay, any questions or comments? Doesn't have to be a question. You have a comment? Please share. Um, I will just turn off the recording before it just gets too long.